Hello, I'm Faisal Terry. Welcome to the Calibre podcast, brought to you by the Watchers of Switzerland Group. Today's topic is the history of chronographs. And discussing the history of chronographs, CEO of the Watchers of Switzerland Group, Brian Duffy, along with Mark Tolson, Head of Watch Buying, and Lee Reynolds, watchmaker from our Oxford Street showroom, sit down and talk about the history of chronographs. They cover topics such as the origin and where the name chronograph came from, the first chronograph wristwatch, and how you can look after your chronograph. So hello everyone, welcome to uh, our uh, latest uh, podcast. Uh, my name is Brian Duffy, I'm the CEO of uh, Watch Switzerland Group and um, delighted to be bringing you these podcasts. This will be the 11th in our series and, and thank you to all of you out there who have been listening. Almost 10,000 of you listening to, uh, uh, to what we have to say in the wonderful world of Swiss watches and uh, re- really grateful for, uh, for our audience and uh, your participation. Uh, we're going to move on. We've done a lot about uh, about history of uh, Swiss watches. We're going to keep talking about history, but we're going to get more specific on um, uh, some uh, model types and families, if you like, of, uh, of different uh, timepieces. And today we're going to talk about the chronograph. Um, and to help me talk about it, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, two of my colleagues who are now asked to introduce themselves. Uh, so... Firstly, our, our head of uh, watch buying, Mark. Hi, hi, hi good, uh, good day to you all. Uh, yeah, I'm Mark Tolson, head of watch buying for Watch the Switzerland Group. It's a great job. It's a great job. He earns a fortune. That does what he does what he enjoys. Another guy that does what he enjoys is uh, is Lee, our watchmaker. Thanks for joining us, Lee. No problem at all. I'm Lee Reynolds. I've been uh, with uh, Watch the Switzerland now for five years as a watchmaker. Okay, and uh, we, we, we clearly make sure that we're covering the the length and breadth of the of the UK with uh, with me from Glasgow and Lee an Essex boy and uh, and Mark here from uh, from the Midlands. So uh, we're representing the entire country. Uh, so we're going to talk about chronographs. Uh, it probably is the most popular uh, look overall in the UK. Uh, I say probably we've got to check our, our, our absolute stat stats that we track on it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that the chronograph is the number one look uh, around uh, 25, 26% of all the watches we sell. And a lot of icons that we'll talk about that, uh, that underwrite that, uh, that position in the market. Uh, we're mainly going to talk about the 20th century and talk about the great uh, brands that are out there and the contribution that they've made overall to the world of chron- chronographs. But the history does go back to the 19th century, as it often does in Swiss watches. And uh, even further back, um, the guy who's given the credit for the original chronographs, a guy called uh, Louis Moiré, and uh, back, way back in 1821, um, produced a chronograph for um, King Louis the Eighteenth. Uh, good to see he was spending the tax money well, even uh, even back then. Um, and uh, the, the actual name, Mark Chronograph, where does it come from? I think it's Greek. It's uh, that which writes time. Um, so, um, graph meaning write and chrono meaning time, that which writes time. Yeah. And I think, actually, I think we've all had the pleasure of seeing the, the, the very original chronograph. And in fact, it did actually write <laughs> uh, back then. It was a yeah. slight nib in the. Yeah. And ink uh, recording, I think, some scientific think uh, movements good, of the yeah. stars uh-huh. and so on. Yeah. And and, uh, and where we've seen that, actually, just for uh, all of you out there, we've seen it in the, uh, the Patek Philippe uh, Museum mm-hmm. in, in Geneva, which, if you're really into Swiss watches, yeah. get an easy jet flight, spend a day in the... Uh, mm-hmm. um, the Patek Philippe uh, Museum. It's a it's a wonderful way to learn about watches and actually see the 
these uh, wonderful old pieces from uh, from history. So we are going to roll forward and talk about really 20th century and the products that we know and love today. Uh, one company that's made a huge contribution to the development of, uh, of the chronograph is the Hauer Company. Um, and uh, one of the first uh, uh, awards that they were given was uh, was the time of trip uh, back in 1911. And as it says, me- measuring uh, what at, at that time was a race uh, on a car, and it was a dashboard uh, chronograph. Um, they then, a few years later, did the first ever uh, wristwatch uh, chronograph with the crown at 12 o'clock. Um, so really looking like a um, an old... Uh, um, stopwatch. Um, they then, a couple of years later, and when I read about the first years of the First World War, they come up with a micrograph measuring mechanically um, um, to a hundredth of a second, which is pretty amazing. Uh, roll forward to 1933, again a dashboard uh, chronograph that, uh, that they were using both for uh, automobiles and, uh, and aeroplanes named after both methods of uh, uh, travel, the Otavia, um, and then 1936, uh, the Carrera, uh, named by uh, Jack Hauer, uh, Senior. Uh, so uh, Hauer made a huge contribution uh, overall to the, the, the world of, of chronograph, Mark. Mm-hmm. It certainly did, yeah. Yeah, as you say, it was uh, the dawn of, um, of, of car racing and all that excitement that you get with the uh, with uh, with speeding cars and, and the ability to time that was something that uh, the Hoyer family were very interested in. So hence the dashboard chronographs and then moving into watches or moving into wrist watches. And we should say um, for our folks out there listening, the whole concept, the, the chronographs are effectively two instruments in one, mm-hmm. uh, two measurements of time in one. One's telling you the time of the day mm-hmm. and uh, the other's measuring elapsed. Yeah. Time. So one's a stopwatch, and the other's to tell you mm-hmm. whether or not it's time for a uh, time for lunch. Yes. And and the thing that probably connects it to them, as I look at it, is a second hand. Yes. In many ways, so we were all using a second hand mm-hmm. before we had chronographs, uh, if yeah. you like, for for measuring. We're all waiting till it got to twelve, yeah. you know, twelve That's o'clock, true. and say, mm-hmm. right, lads, go. Yeah. And uh, and you would measure, but yeah. uh, but obviously, what the chronograph eventually allowed us to do is reset and mm-hmm. and measure with the with the pushers and so on. So effectively, it's it's two. Um, two measurements of one. Um, another uh, brand and business that else, not that far away in Switzerland, but also really working on a development of uh, um, chronographs was Breitling. Mm-hmm. Still very, uh, very iconically represented in the in the category. And way back in 1915, Gaston Breitling uh, was the first to use a central second hand for a, for a chronograph. Yeah. And uh, then the first to have a pusher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think prior to that, the, um, the, uh, the, the crown, the main winding crown, had been the thing that started, stopped, uh, and reset a chronograph. So it was, it was a big advance when, uh, when Leon Breitling put a, put a button at, uh, at two o'clock as a start, stop, uh, reset. And that was in 1923. Um, and he, he moved that on in, uh, I think, 1934 um, and put the, um, the reset button at four o'clock. So... Uh, you then had three buttons on the on the side of a watch, and that basically defined how a chronograph looks today. So your start mm-hmm. stop button at the top, the crown in the middle, um, and then the the reset button at four o'clock, and that's pretty much what every chronograph looks like today. So it was a bit of a landmark all the way back from 1934. Yep. And uh, so I'm going to ask you difficult <laughs> questions as we go through here, Mark, but with total confidence that you'll be able to answer them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, a rat rapant. 
Rattrapant. Okay. Well, uh, Rattrapant, um, that um, is also known as a double chronograph or a split seconds chronograph. Um, and Rattrapant, um, loosely translated, means catch up. So what you have, basically, um, it's normally on the, on the seconds hands. You have two second hands uh, together, one over the top of the other. And when you press start, both second hands uh, are synchronized and set off timing. And there's uh, normally a third button to the chronograph, and if you press that, it stops one of the second hands and allows the other to continue. So you can do one, two finishes or lap times. And then if you press that button again, you then get the catch-up feature. So that's what Rattrapant means. So they're, they're really quite advanced, really technical chronographs. Lang and Zona do them. Um, Patek, I think, did the first in 1922, I think it was. Um, and... Um, I think that sold um, that sold in 1999 for 1.9 million dollars. So I think that was their, their, their first one, or the first one actually, the first one in production. Mm -hmm. So it's quite a significant watch. Um, so what we have then is we have the, the watch telling us the time, just making it speed mm -hmm. around with the with the hours and minutes, and then you have two other mechanisms effectively uh, measuring with, with a stop-start mechanism, me measuring whatever it is that you're timing. So I'm thoroughly confused by all this because it's all getting driven at the end of the day by, by one mainspring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mainspring. So you're going to tell us how it all works, Lee. Yeah, well, it's pretty simple, really. It's just one extra pinion which takes the power from the main mainspring. When you start the chronograph, Mostly what happens on modern day chronographs is there's a pinion on an arm yep. and the arm comes over when you start the watch and it interacts with the actual chronograph centre seconds wheel. That runs 60 seconds. Underneath that chronograph wheel you either have a finger or a spring. That moves on to um, um, auxiliary wheel which moves on one tooth which interacts with your minute counter wheel which then moves on another tooth. So once it's gone around 60 seconds, it then recalls that one minute. And then it'll go around the whole 60 minutes, and then your hour recorder right. will move on one. And it's literally just from one little tiny pinion. So but it, it effectively start it, it goes up against the wheel, stop it, reset, and then it comes away from the wheel. Yep. But it's, it's a separate movement, effectively, that's it happening is. within, the, within yeah. the case. It is, yeah. Yep. yeah. And then when you reset it, you have um, a cam which then comes up against the two chronograph wheels, yep. which are like a heart shape, and then they've got the flat end, and then the flat end of the actual arm comes up against the flat end of the wheels, and that's your reset. Yeah, okay. Got it, Mark? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think because Jaeger Lecoult, their duometra, that was like a... That was dual wing technology so they had two almost two movements but synchronized you, together yeah 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 you can um the omegas do one as well okay. i think tagoi do one as well right. it's a basic uh 2824 movement eta movement and they have a module which bolts onto the top of that and then the pinion is a brass pinion which is literally locked in place mm -hmm. and then when you start the chronograph it engages and then the chronograph starts okay yeah very similar, but it's, it's just a fixed pinion rather than a, on an actual arm itself. Okay. So there's it, it, no movement backwards or forwards. It's just when, when the chronograph starts, it just pulls a break away and then the chronograph <coughs> wheel starts. And then when you stop it and reset it, then the break comes up against the wheel and holds that wheel. 
and is therefore using uh, the chronograph feature, yeah. does it um, affect the power reserve? It um, not as such, it doesn't affect the power reserve. It might, may take the um, the amplitude down slightly because it's right. working a lot harder. It's got yep. more, more wheels to move. Um, but the timekeeping and everything else should be perfectly fine. All right. Well, it's... Um just reminding everybody, we're talking about mechanical watches here, and uh, you know we're, we're talking about about springs and mm-hmm. uh, uh, little gears and so on, yep. and pinions as uh, as Lee's just described. It's producing all this functionality from one main amazingly spring. accurately from one main spring, yeah. spring in one little forty-two or forty-three yeah. millimeter case. It's, yeah. uh, it really is amazing. So, so thanks for that, Lee. No you know, we go forward uh, into the sixties, and and then not a lot happened from wartime right up to the sixties in terms of uh, of chronographs. People were using them; mm-hmm. they were all manual yeah. uh, up yeah. till then. And then in the sixties, um, the uh, the the quest was to come up with uh, an automatic um, movement that was going to be a chronograph. And uh, a couple of the Swiss brands got together and, and uh, collaborated on it. And of the big brands today, Breitling and Hauer were, mm-hmm. were, uh, were two of the main ones. Yeah. What was that project? It was uh, called Hoyt? Project 99. Um, and it was, as you said, it was a collaboration between Tag Heuer, um, sorry, Hoyer rather, Breitling, uh, Dubois Dupraz, um, Buren, uh, and they all got together to work on a, on, a, on a chronograph movement using bits of their own expertise from from uh, from their own factory. So uh, there's the, the chronograph they came out with. Uh, I think it was the Caliber 12 was um, was a modular chronograph because it was kind of uh, it was uh, brought to it was bringing bits of technology from those four companies together into one chronograph. Yep. Uh, so that was uh, that was significant. Actually, it was uh, quite a thing. And. Elsewhere in Switzerland, we had uh, Zenith working on on their own. You did on yeah. the same uh, same project. That's that's correct. Um, they they were the, the difference there is uh, theirs is an integrated chronograph. So they started from from the bottom up and, and built a movement as opposed to taking taking uh, elements from other other uh, other other um, movements in the range. So theirs was an integrated chronograph um, and um, quite an amazing thing. Uh, quite an amazing thing when it came out. Very very. Um, High, high, high precision, so it's 36 vibrations per hour, um, whereas a normal normal run-of-the-mill chronograph um, is about 28,800, so it was kind of super accurate um, and, and, and a real achievement for its time. Yep. And they made sure everybody knew it was the first. Well, that's that's the thing, isn't it? That's, that's sort of like one of the legends of, of kind of watchmaking. So it was 1969, um, Zenith... Um, I think put an advert out and said we've made the world's first automatic chronograph and that was in the January um, but they didn't have any production so I don't think any came out into the market until 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 the October but sort of rather cunningly they called it El Primero which means the first in Esperanto so they were they were putting down a marker that they had done the first automatic chronograph um, uh, whereas the uh, the tag uh, sorry the Hoya and, and Breitling um, watch that's that came out into the market in in August, although I think it was shown up at the Basel Fair at the time, so that would have been in March. Um, but then, sort of um, coming in from the east, really was Seiko with their was it the six one three nine movement. Um, they, although I think it's a bit of a confused position, but theirs was maybe the first um, automatic chronograph in the market, and that was probably around March. March or May time, but it's 
It's like three bald men arguing over a comb. You know, they all, they're all on the same they're all on the same sort of journey and all, yeah. all doing a all doing the great thing. Um, and it's just a question of who was first. But sixty nine was the was the year. Was really. the year? Yeah. And and you know what what was really lovely to listen to in the in the podcast that you did with Jack Hower. Um, he was giving great background to, mm-hmm. to all of that, and actually, he was the one that was doing the the press conference in yeah. New, New York, I think, That's in March '69, right. yeah. and then they heard about the Zenith one. Yeah. So, yeah. so he he gives his own personal account of uh-huh. uh, of what was going on at that time, yeah. and it was uh, really really interesting to uh, to see that race, and I think all very respectful, yes. like you said at Basel when they presented their product, Mister. Atori mm-hmm. from uh, Correct. from Seiko came yeah. up and congratulated him on his product yeah. and so on. So. Yeah. Um, all very, all very gentlemanly uh, about <laughs> Indeed. it all. Indeed. Um, so, so that was '69, and it really was the beginning of the uh, the choreograph as we know it today. The El Primero, I think, probably would be recognised mm. as the best movement, yep. and it, it found its way into the uh, Daytona. So, correct. We've yeah. got to believe that Rolex uh-huh. knows something about yes. you know high quality movements yeah. before they did. Uh, um, so, actually, just talking about the Daytona, um, probably the most iconic. Chronograph in the world, if not the most iconic yeah. uh, watch uh, in the world today, most iconic dial. Um, so uh, along this line of uh, difficult questions, Mark, um, it's a chronograph, but they call it the Cosmograph. Yeah. And we don't know why. I have no, I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> so, uh, no idea. We like to think that our, uh, our podcasts are answering questions, but on this one, we, we, uh, we're going to put the question out there. Um, it's a great name, the Daytona Cosmograph, mm-hmm. but we do, uh, we, we normally know why. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, we we'll keep researching, but we don't know why mm-hmm. uh, the Daytona uh, Cosmograph is is so named. Um, but um, wonderful product, uh, tachymeter uh, again, and so the use of a tachy- tachymeter. What effectively is that uh, doing in a chronograph, Lee? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's just the measurement of time. Yeah. Uh, aviation, uh, racing. It's so they can use it just to actually measure the amount of time. Yep. That they need to measure, but also on the the Daytona as well. When they took the Al Primero movement, and you were saying Mark, that it was uh, a thirty-seven, um, thirty-eight, thirty-eight thousand yeah. beats per minute uh, per hour. Uh-huh. Daytona actually slowed that down with the overcall hairspring. So right. I brought it down to the 26, which they wanted. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Or just just yeah. for the overcall hairspring yeah. on its own. That's, that's how they managed to slow it down because they thought it was too fast for them. Oh, wow. Ah, yeah. Interesting. So, now, I mean, the, the tachymeter, and we'll, we'll talk about it, you know, how it is in some other product. Again, it's very visual. It, it looks like a... It, mm-hmm. it can either it's generally slimmer than, mm-hmm. than uh, mm-hmm. your, a typical uh, bezel that would just simply be measuring uh, measuring time. Um, and then you either through the elapsed time, you either know the speed and you'll know how far you've gone, mm-hmm. or you know how far you've gone and you'll know the speed yeah. that yeah. You, you've effectively run at. So that's how it was used. Uh, they became um, the, uh, Rolex became the official timekeeper of a Daytona race, I think back in the 60s, and, and of course the, the most um, uh, famous product of all, could we say that, would be the, the Paul Newman mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Daytona. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, given to him by his missus, uh, Joanne Woodward. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually just saw and did a wee bit of research. Apparently it was engraved on the back of it, uh, drive carefully me. <laughs> so uh, just, just reminding himself to behave. But uh, Paul Newman allegedly wore it 
all the time when he when yeah. he was was doing his car racing. He clearly uh, clearly loved the product, and got that really iconic look as well of the black dial with, mm-hmm. the, yeah. with the white sub dials, yeah. or probably the most iconic, the white with the black. Would you? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I also found out I didn't know this either. There was um, an albino dial, white with white subdials. Yeah, yeah. Very, very rare and unusual. Uh, partly Eric Clapton has one, so I'm <laughs> sure he'll part with it. Just make him a good, <laughs> good offer at some point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, it was a manual movement back then, right? So you, you're having to wind yep. it up and, yep. uh, mm-hmm. and uh, control that mainspring as we we're discussing earlier. And then in the year 2000, Rolex introduced the movement still used today, the 4130. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which uh, which hugely accurate and performance wise and yeah. and yeah. automatic you know so yeah. so really uh, making it everything that we know and love today and then other you know tremendous uh, aesthetic developments were done the ceramic bezel mm-hmm. yep anything about the bezel type whether it's steel or ceramic affects anything from a no no if it doesn't affect it it's just. I don't know. It's, it's probably just something they wanted to move with the times and make yeah. it look look a little bit more fresher. Yeah. Whereas the original ones, they could dull, they can get uh, sun damage. Yeah. Discolour. Yeah. Uh, luminous could also fall out, so yeah. they probably Scratch. turned turned to the ceramic one just to yep. keep it looking fresh. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, it does. It looks great. Yeah. And uh, I think it was a huge yeah. movement forward. And then the oyster flight style that they mm-hmm. have on the uh, yeah rubber. And now you can have it in. Uh, Rose gold, or yep. yellow gold, white mm-hmm. gold, mm-hmm. still looking super sporty. Yeah. yeah. Um, or you can have it with uh, a rainbow of sapphires. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Everything that fits your taste and, uh, and, and budget overall. Yeah. Um, I mean, other tremendous, iconic chronographs out there, the, the Breitling Navitimer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, great watch. Um, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's an icon for them, and that's got a slide rule bezel, yeah, um, yeah. and that's a that's a really complicated piece, but great for um, great for navigation and aviation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, it, and it's still a real staple of the range today. People love it. It's a very iconic. Yeah, super watch. Yeah, yeah. My son has one, and yeah. it, it really is the iconic look mm-hmm. of uh, yeah. Yeah. of Breitling. Although Breitling's going through a mm-hmm. sort of repositioning, an exciting repositioning today, yeah. and, and, and expanding their look mm-hmm. and feel. But yeah. when you still think about the classic. Breitling, it's the Navi timer with all those complicated That's measures right, yeah. of yeah, the tachymeter yeah. on the bezel mm. and uh, on the, uh, on the, the dial, dial as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the new range, the Premier, looks, uh, looks uh, I think, very cool. I, I, yeah, I, I love that. Um, I mean, there's there's a couple, there's, there's a, a version with um, a sort of, uh, with a kind of Swiss in, industry standard movement. Uh, which has got the three counters on it, but then there's the um, the, the two dial, um, the, the two zone chronograph movement, which is their in-house movement, uh, and that's about six thousand six hundred pounds. And uh, I'm a bit of a fan of a two dial chronograph. I think they look balanced, um, mm. so I particularly love that watch. Yeah, and it's proven uh, to be hugely popular. Another classic, the Speedmaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, lots of history associated yeah. with the Speedmaster. Mm-hmm. Back, yeah. Everything happened in '69, right? So, exactly. Yeah. I was born. <laughs> ah, there you go. There you go. That was a great year all round. Um, and you had the moon landing get on with the uh, yep. Speedmaster being the, the first watch in the moon. That, that's correct. Yeah, um, and that that would that was a manual because obviously a, a rotor yep. doesn't really work in yep. zero gravity. So yep. that that was the point of that. But I suppose the significant thing there is that was the. Um, 
the uh, the Speedmaster um, three two one movement. It, it would was, have been yeah. came out in fifty seven. Yeah, um, and um, obviously it's fifty years fifty years this year from from the from the uh, moon landing, and they're relaunching the the three two one movement in a, in a new Speedmaster. Really? So that's going to be the that's going to be the hot ticket that's for this be year. One. It really yeah. is. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, so we know what birthday's coming up, Lee. Oh, no, that's yep. why I bought this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lee's, uh, Lee's, Lee's sporting a, a, a really great moon landing uh, Speedmaster. At, uh, well, I'm going to have to have a look at the other one now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> suits, suits you very well. Mm-hmm. And so we've mentioned uh, Hauer, and obviously uh, in the 90s they became Tag Hauer, and uh, really iconic uh, chronographs from them, probably the most iconic in terms of something different and recognisable and imagery and so on would be the monocle. Yeah. Yeah. Square. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Um, and buttons on the other side, um, on the, on the left hand side of the case. It's a, it's a great look. I mean, that sort of harks back to the originals from, uh, well, from 1969. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, a, a great look. The blue, uh, the golf monocos, the, uh, the sort of, uh, with the, with, the, with the golf colours on from the racing, yeah, they're, yeah. they're just terrific. Yep. Still in the range today, sells incredibly well. It's yep. a great, great watch. Yeah, and again, just to uh, just to promote our podcast, it was again very interesting hearing Jack Howard talk about why it was mm-hmm. that um, it turned out to be the monocle. He literally only had it's the only product that he had yes. seven of. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And his his um, for the film. agent and or, or whatever whoever was representing him in Hollywood said we need seven mm-hmm. for the movie in case yeah. anything goes wrong yeah, yeah. and it was the uh, Le Mans yes yeah. Yeah. and uh, so the only one he had seven of was the uh, uh, was the monocle Blimey. and uh, the guy got caught importing them I mean, it's, it's a really good story yeah, yeah, to to get them across the, the border the, <laughs> the yeah. and it finishes up with this amazing iconic image of uh, Steve McQueen and, uh, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. and the uh, uh, the white boiler yeah, suit yeah, or whatever yeah. Yeah. I've worn that white boiler suit and it just, <laughs> just doesn't seem to have the same, same impact as well and then uh, what other Monaco that uh, I know that we love is the one that uh, George George Bamford did as a limited edition uh, with him mm. last year with that powder blue and yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. really yeah. great look yeah, and uh, other great tags uh, the tag hour uh, the, the Carrera we've talked about the Tavia mm-hmm. a lot of the Formula 1 huge association with Formula yeah, 1 yeah, yeah. because of race driving and Ferrari yeah, yeah. and way mm-hmm. back and uh, then at, uh, at the higher you know price point uh, I think personally the, the Royal Oak um, chronographs just look fantastic you've got the tapisserie dial and then mm-hmm. against that you mm-hmm. have the, the sub dials that are yeah. pushed back so it's that's very yeah. true. Definitely my personal yeah. favourite. Yeah, uh, one of the things about that this year, um, the AP brought out the uh, the, the the chrono in a thirty eight mil, so it's forty forty one mil uh, normally, yeah. but they brought it out in thirty eight mil, and we um, that could be a move towards sort of gender fluid watches. Mm. We, we keep thinking nothing's ladies or gents anymore. Yep. It's yeah. it's just a size. So it's quite an interesting move from them. Yeah. Yeah. I think about twenty one thousand pounds, which is. Uh, a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for what you're getting, for yeah. what certainly we would value, and obviously the Nautilus and the chronographs and other yeah. beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. pieces mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And put your name down, maybe, but don't expect anything <laughs> anytime, any, soon. anytime soon. <laughs> yes. Yeah, huge demand for those products. <laughs> so we all love the chronograph, but uh, Lee, is, is there anything we should do in looking after the chronograph? That's any uh, me personally, I always have my chronograph running. Just purely to keep the lubrication yours moving. It, it is a personal choice, but 
that, that, that's the way that I feel. Yep. If, you, if you've got something sitting there which is sitting in oil, it's just going to go thicker and it's yep. going to get dark and it's going to go black. And when you try to use the chronograph, it, sometimes it might not start straight away. You might have to give it a little nudge. Yep. So personally, I'd rather keep my mind, my mind going. Yep. You know, that, that makes total sense. I've, uh, I've never... Mm-hmm. I would think most people don't use No, the they don't. No, yeah, no. A lot of people don't use them, no. Yeah. I mean, you can use them, obviously, to measure time if you want to time something, but yep. I'll just keep mine going. Yeah. It, yep. it just makes sense to me rather mm-hmm. than have it sitting in oil. Yeah. That's, uh, that does make sense, and it's something I'm going to uh, do from now on. Yeah. Um, uh, and as well as it telling us how to measure things and whatever, but it's really the aesthetic and the romance and everything to do with the chronograph that's made it so mm-hmm. hugely, hugely popular. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the aesthetic, Mark, I know you're a man big on symmetry, so <laughs> here's another question. Is your preference to have a date, a three o'clock date, or no date on a chronograph? Gosh, um, <laughs> aesthetically, I, I think I think on the on the, I think on the premiere. Um, oh gosh, um, yeah, it's, it's six o'clock. I think it's six o'clock. So you've yeah. got you've got one dial at three, one dial at nine, and the date at six o'clock. That really really appeals to me. Yeah. Um, I'm, um, but on a three dial chronograph where it's three six nine. If you think about what AP have done, they've put the date at about four thirty. Mm-hmm. And that works. That works well enough as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You, you know, preference, Lee, aesthetically. Classic. Oh, yeah. Classic for me. <coughs> no, no date. date. No okay. date. Like the Daytona. Yeah. 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 yeah well. Yeah. Which, which I love the look of for that, yeah. for that yeah. reason. Yeah. I must say, I look for a date. I now look for yeah. a date more than I ever did. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there you are. Practicality versus yeah. aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. We know. We know what the Essex boys go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and uh, and again, in terms of the classic look. Black with white subdial or white with black subdial? What do, what do we prefer? Uh, black with white. You're black with white. Black man. with white. Okay. Um, I have a feeling. I think I'm a more of a panda. I'm a white yeah. with black. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, there you go. But but I like a contrast. Yeah. I like yeah. I like. Yeah. I think you've got to have a contrast. I think it it, it makes uh, the look of the watch sing it, a lot more than exactly, uh, than yeah. if it's just like a. A, a, a one coloured dial yeah. so yeah contrast is good yeah. Yeah. contrasted some dials tachymeter yeah. 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 date yeah. All, all the moon phase whatever <laughs> and then, uh, then there's, there's nothing annual calendars <laughs> yeah god <laughs> so great uh, thanks guys thanks for, uh, for for joining me giving us that uh, insight to chronograph it is as we said earlier the most popular look hugely growing as a look with uh, yeah, along yeah. with uh, sport watches generally in the UK and, and delighted that we can bring you all of these brands here in, uh, in Watchers, Switzerland, and delighted to chat about them. So uh, thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody, for, uh, for joining us, and we'll look forward to uh, presenting to you again on, uh, on our next podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Calibre Podcast. As always, please do subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts. We're now available on Spotify as well as all the usual places you listen to your podcasts. 